So I was trying to like prepare a little bit. Most of the talks that I give is usually like static or recreated content from an outline. So I was a little worried about speaking extemporaneously. And as I was trying to think about it, I was like, man, I'm concerned about sounding like an old person. <laughs> and so, like, I don't want to sound like a boomer, you know, like, have, have you listened to this podcast? <laughs> we plan these things very meticulously. I'll have you. Right. Yeah. Despite JD's and we, and lack we both of preparedness. sound like old curmudgeons <laughs> oh, back in my day. <laughs> I try not to. Really? I'm, I'm full of optimism and youthful energy. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm full of coffee. So yeah. Coffee's good. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast. Today I'm joined by my amazingly grumpy, sometimes beautiful co-host, JD. How are you doing, JD? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great. Just in time productions. I biked home as fast as I could while stopping at all the stop signs. And no, no hopping in front of cars today. No, Good job. but my new bike camera, I caught uh, a skater he passed by me and I looked at it, my footage later that I was editing in Final Cut. Um, nice. Basically, the skater was holding underneath the like the wheel well of the SUV and he was like skating down this main street. And I was just like, you can hear sort of someone going, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that was me. Going, what? That's awesome. And today we're joined by an amazingly awesome person, human, Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? Hi, uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, friends. It's nice to be here. Yeah. yeah, we've run out of adjectives, but welcome yeah, to the Mac DevOps podcast. Cool. Well, uh, so let me add some adjectives then. Uh, my name is Jonathan. Uh, I go by mids and highs uh, most places on the internet that you can find me. Uh, I am a senior desktop engineer at FlightAware. Uh, we are a flight tracking company, and uh, that's what I do for work now. I've been a Mac admin for uh, 12, 13 years uh, in higher ed, and now for this uh, software company in the aviation industry. Um, I particularly geek out on um, like workflow concerns. And uh, right now I'm really digging into automations around like salt states and using Python and Objective-C to perform the, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Well, back up a second. Aren't you a famous one-time speaker at Mac DevOps? Uh, I have uh, presented once at Mac DevOps in the past. Um, I recognized uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. I may have done that once or twice. Just once. Yeah. Uh, that was talk. actually a really great time and I really enjoyed it. Um, we actually we have to it. see people in person again someday. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would, that would be great. Uh, I actually attended the, I attended remotely the remote uh, Mac DevOps uh, from a, a town in New Mexico. Um, I'm actually located in Houston. My company is located in Houston. And, uh, but so I actually, uh, so 
COVID happened right around Houston spring break. So my uh, partner is an educator. So we went to uh, New Mexico and then we were stuck there for three months because it was like <laughs> the COVID thing happened and we were just like, okay, I guess we'll just stay. And so we were there. And so I was just like, all right, I guess I'll just attend this conference from the basement of this, you know, of this place. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting, it was a different vibe than I expected to take in these kind of talks. I'll say that. So it was, it was different. It's what we call a, a hand-drawn facsimile. We did our best. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I particularly enjoyed. Um, I like to run, and uh, on w- on one morning of the conference, I got up and I uh, ran along like uh, the pier slash boardwalk area down there. We actually have a little airport. There's a tiny little private airport there, and they operate a seaplane. Uh, so I, you know, did the thing. But um, it's, and that was just like beautiful and great, and it was just uh, it's fantastic. It was. I'd never been to Canada before, and it was like a incredible way to be greeted by the country. I really enjoyed it. The conference aims to teach people about open source and <laughs> geography, spatial yeah. awareness, and community building. And airport codes. Airport codes. So believe it or not, um, we, are, we deploy a, a QGIS package for our customer service people to, uh, <laughs> to use. QGIS. And inter- yeah, it's like... Information <laughs> system. I'm unsure. Um, I'm it's uh, it's mostly it's mostly because I'm divorced from that particular process. Like another member of my team has handled the deployment of that, like almost entirely. So I just don't have familiarity with it because I've been doing other things. Um, but yeah, um, it's a it. My understanding. So my understanding is it is uh, some sort of mapping pack- package and a extension into a Postgres database that will allow you to perform triangulations based on a certain space. Like I know that a reporting team uses it in particular to like perform bound-based SQL queries on things. So, you know, like we need this to happen. You know, we need to track like this in this side of space, and they can create bounds to pull out of a database specifically around Postgres SQL stuff. Very so, cool. Yeah. So. So tell us about not necessarily your origin story, but how did you slide into DevOps or how did you get interested by this new new area of tech? So um, I was kind of unaware of this. I had mostly worked in ITIL models for a very long time. Um, and I had um, found them to be very restrictive and frustrating, obviously, but I just thought it was the way that things were. You know, it was just, oh, this is the reality of how things happen. And this is just a frustration of the job and, you know, whatever. Um, I, uh, I found that um, what a lot of the tools that I had been doing in the past, like for like, um, you know, using, uh, trying to keep track of, you know, uh, people's work in such a way so that you can, you know, manage everything properly uh, and, uh I found that I had been doing that a lot in previous jobs, specifically at the job before this, but I had not been doing it that way. Like um, I had not, I didn't have the words for it until I was at uh, Flightaware here where we, uh, we embraced it pretty heavily from the get go, um, at least uh, from my understanding. I've only been with the company for like six and a half years. It's been around for about 15. Um, and it's a little weird because like the aviation industry as a whole is really not into moving quickly. Uh, they are, they are very, very into doing things right the one, 
you know, doing things once and right, you know, which is definitely kind of not DevOps, I don't think. Like, and so that's a bit of a weird mindset to be in, you know. Um, but then again, uh, the recent, I mean, I'm obviously not like an aviation industry person. I'm a Mac admin. I fix Macs, you know, like I have complaints about Apple MDM, you know, like I like package you fix sucks. Them. <laughs> I mean, no. go back. You, you fix them? No. Can you make software update work? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh God, please. None of us can. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's a bit frustrating. No. So the aviation industry doesn't want to uh, test in production, huh? No, 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 that, uh, no, that's not how a plane, that's not how you want any flight to necessarily happen. I mean, there are test pilots, obviously, but, um, so, uh, uh, specifically, uh, I really got acquainted with the idea by, um, kind of like reading the Phoenix project as part of like a work thing with this group. And that really kind of like gave like, that was like, oh, okay, that's what, the, that's what it is. And then I start, and that what was really like opened up my ideas of like what DevOps was as a concept. Cause I just thought I was like the IT person for a bunch of developers and some salespeople, you know, but it's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, yes, but also there is a conceptual understanding that happens organization wide whenever you adopt these sorts of things. So. And did you find yourself um, using these new techniques in your team of one, or did you work with other teams within the company, or did you find yourself also working with the community at large, or all of the above? Uh, I have answers to both of those, but I, I want to like clarify terms. So we use like a uh, model. Um, so I'm going to talk about like uh, we call them crews. So like cross crew, like being able to track cross crew collaboration inside of our matrix model is kind of fascinating because you can actually get attributable out like tracking everyone's like actual output is uh, kind of unbelievable. Like we're getting an unbelievable amount of work done and um, doing it really quickly. And it's, I mean, and of course mistakes are happening and there are things that we want to fix and some stuff and some weeks are extremely busy. And um, frankly, the last month of uh, being here has been kind of exciting. Um, you know, um, what happened? Kind of power. There was a, yeah, so everything froze. So when I gave uh, the presentation, um, I think, uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think, yeah, there was, um, there were only, um, I, we had just expanded our team to a third person. And we have now at this point expanded my team in particular to four people. Um, it has been, it, it's nice because we are able to, uh, because of how we built this model around like tracking work, regardless of what kind of work it is, uh, we're able to, we're, I'm really excited to start, you know, like branching into uh, tracking more non-technical work, like possibly working with creative teams, um, you know, and finding shared pain points across those lines um, as, you know, which, which is really fun. Um, and great, but it also is kind of like a cherry on top to like doing, you know, like this also enables us to do fun work, you know, um, like I get pleasure in like working with, you know, uh, a Mac on a command line way to like find, you know, fun uh, management steps like using salt states or, um, you know, uh, auto package tricks or stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, um, 
I'm working on a fun nested auto package recipe that will install like a build of whatever, you know, which will install a uh, per Git branch build of whatever Android emulator for our testing teams to use, you know, which is really fun, you know, and, you know, is difficult because of, you know, the, the requirements, but it's a good time. And these models allow us to get that kind of work done while also, you know, answer our users in a timely fashion and put out all the fires that need to. Sounds like you work in a magical place. Yeah, it's all right. Um, and there are difficulties. Um, so you'll notice I am here. Um, and uh, You're sharing uh, your wisdom. You're sharing your <laughs> wisdom. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'm also going to do a, uh, I also have to update the firmware on the machine, you know, later you see things. So, I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, so, so there's, a, you know, so there's a thing. Um, but yeah, so uh, you asked what my origin was. I talked for 20 minutes about how cool my workplace was. But the short version is like uh, this workplace, uh, in, in particular, I read this uh, book called The Phoenix Project, which gave me, I would say, tools, you know, and language around understanding concepts that were kind of obvious, I think, to some and maybe very unobvious to me. Um, and then when we started using Kanban boards in a real way, we were able to, you know, like say, Hey, we could probably, you know, do HR this way. Right. You know, Hey, we could probably like track purchase requests, right? Hey, there's a shared issue here. Like there's a, you know, like, you know, like there is a human approval component. And as a result, because it's, because it's a security request and it's a human component and there's a human c approval component, we can use the same workflow that we can use here. And it's just interchangeable, you know, and then the work gets done faster and then everything happens. Then you can nice. talk about the stuff that actually matters. So the, the, the salt state is, I mean, just to give people a, some background and what that is, is basically a keep it simple strategy, right? Keep Mm -hmm. simplicity is the so, idea behind, behind salt is simplicity salt so um, and, well as uh so i am not necessarily like a salt professional i sure i i dabble with salt i have i have you set sprint, up you sprinkle the salt yes, taken out I of context have, yes. this sounds really weird salt is yeah. a management tool <laughs> yes yes salt is a configure <laughs> salt is a configuration management tool uh similar in vain to terraform ansible puppet chef those right. sorts of things um, we, uh, we use salt in our environment, um, and we have, and we have used salt and chef in particular across our devices. Uh, we don't use a whole lot of configuration management. We're not like some of the larger, you know, um, teams that need that sort of thing. I mean, uh, with the more complex of a configuration and your compliance, the more difficult it is to keep it in spec. Like every rule you make is something you have to fix later to make sure it's in line. So you want to find a balance. So how does salt work? So uh, salt on the Mac, uh, I haven't run it particularly uh, much on Big Sur outside of like making sure that it will, you know, like show up. Um, but typically um, you can run like a state and it will uh, pull, you know, and, and keep a configuration and you, uh, you can, it can receive, uh, it can work in a uh, master minion um, relationship or it can run minion or, or it can run masterlessly uh, by, you know, either keeping uh, lo files locally or also uh, through a method that I'm not 100% familiar with encrypting it inside of uh, data structures called pillars. 
um, which I believe is some sort of array. And I'm, uh, and I'm unsure if that is like a stylistic term or something else. Um, but people use it to keep, they define a desired state for configurations or configurations. Yeah, so it's similarly to like a recipe of some sort. So like, for example, you will have like with a chef recipe, you'll have um, like a top level recipe that goes to all things. And then you'll, you know, have some sort of like Ruby file that will, you know, perform further configurations based upon whatever parameters. And you, you know, put those files in place with whatever, you know, MDM you'd like to you know, or whatever method you choose. And um, if you, uh, in salt in particular, um, we just have one, I just had, I just in the past have used one called top, um, you know, and just thrown a bunch of stuff in there really quickly because I, because I've used it primarily for testing or a rapid deployment of like static devices inside of like trade show settings and those sorts of things. So for example, uh, you'll have, uh, and there have been really great presentations on this um, by, uh, uh, I know it, he is West W on Max Slacks and it was, I'm having trouble remembering his exact name because it is similarly to my introduction to JD where we just had a quick 10 second handshake and then I just kind of absorbed information for a while. But um, he gave a great presentation on doing something similarly to this in like managing Wi-Fi profiles and doing that sort of thing. Um, it's mostly Python based. Um, and there are a lot of, um, you know, states available. It also is used very prominently as like a, a backend a server configuration management tool as well. We use it um, to manage all of our backend infrastructure, but we don't use the same masters. So a larger question that needs no answer is why do people use salt instead of Ansible or Puppet or Chef? Is it like why people use Ruby versus Python versus Bash? There's some familiarity or somebody started with one tool or... I'm a firm opinion of like all of this IT stuff is that like it's uh, not necessarily tools themselves, it's skill sets. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about where it's just a flavor. Um, we've used both here. Um, we have familiarity with it and I was able to get into salt because there are a bunch of people here who use it very often. So I could learn from them, um, you know, and glean information from them, you know, and research on my own. So are you using it to, to help with your Mac configuration or you said just with trade shows or certain settings? Uh, we've been using them for some things. Um, we are, uh, we aren't using it for anything at this moment in time. We've been using a chef, uh, master list chef client for a while now. As for the salt stuff, um, we've been using it primarily to intersect with backend accounts and that sort of thing. So, cool. So, like in terms of like it, differentiating, like how a user authenticates to a server as compared to you know a user authenticates to their Mac. And so, you've learned a lot of things from the people at your work in your workplace. Oh, oh truly. Um, but I, uh, yeah, so actually we do this really fun uh, thing called alliances, which is uh, typically group-led technology or concept-driven uh, book clubs that are usually anywhere between three to six months long. Uh, we just did one on Python. I have done one on management. I have, I'm moving into the security one. We have one on Docker, Kubernetes, C-sharp. Um, Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a really good time. And but what it also allows us to do is like meet people that you don't normally work with and then also get uh you know some 
understanding of how this kind of stuff can uh, like be used because a lot of times when you're, you know, when you're in a larger organization and you may not necessarily understand what someone's day-to-day is like, you just know that it's like, this person does this, uh, especially in our organization. Like there are some programmers on the other side of the office. That's just like that, you know, that is inserts, that is insert person here. He does rust with web sockets and that's about it. And that's about all I understand, you know, and great, you know, um, but these sorts of, you know, so we don't have a lot to talk about from work stuff. So this alliance thing can sometimes allow people to kind of bridge those gaps a little bit. Uh, the Python alliance for us was actually interesting because we had not really been, it was a way for us to bring Python as a language into the entire organization as a like first tier language. We had previously been using a TCL as kind of, and the Rivet Apache backend as the primary functioning for the uh, website and hosting um, and most of that. Um, of course, you know, you can deploy Nginx wherever and yeah, but you know, for, for most of the front work, we have been doing that. And so uh, that was kind of a pain point for some people. Uh, TCL is maybe uh, kind of antiquated and it's maybe not necessarily the uh, quote unquote hippest language ever. Um, so it's still being used, I've run into it. it which is it's still strange. there. It's still <laughs> there. And uh, TCL and the TK toolkit is actually included in most Python because that's what TK enter. If you're using TK enter for user interface uh, modals inside of uh, Cocoa Dialogs, I believe that most of that is TCL. So, um, nice. yeah, we have a big uh, fondness and familiarity. When I got here. Um, it was a TCL program uh, coming down from net install uh, to perform images. Uh, nice. it, was, it was not something I had ever seen <laughs> before. <laughs> Life so is full it of was, surprises. It, it was super effective and worked flawlessly. It, I, I mean, like it was just not something I'd ever seen. It, did everything it needed to do. And functionally it was no different than if someone had done it in bash or anything else or, you know, Python, but yeah, it was, I think we'd all be amazed and shocked to see all the different ways that people solve the problem of deploying Macs. in my <laughs> previous life of being a VFX sysadmin. I'd work with a lot of people building pipeline tools. I was on the periphery, not building them myself, but every single person was building their own thing and usually end up in Python, but you know, the glue code and everybody just building the craziest things in Python, throwing out other people's stuff, even not even be able to read their own stuff a year later and throwing it out. People being hired to write new custom bespoke Python pipeline tools. It's like, mm-hmm. guys, buy something off the shelf or work together with somebody else. It's like everybody's doing like totally random custom the best. Yeah. Or just like sit down and write it down together, like spend the hour to just write it all down together you know just document the thing yeah but in truth i've seen perfect not used and good enough always running <laughs> always running <laughs> really they're they're all just copy and paste scripts out of stack overflow and yeah. or stack exchange and and uh yeah i've had so i've had so many glue code type scripts where they literally like were in apple script called uh, bash to run an OSA script 
in bash which like you could have cut out the middleman but you were just copying and pasting code i i get it mm -hmm. it's funny when things work <laughs> it's funny that things work not when <laughs> that they work <laughs> I mean, we're Mac admins, and sometimes it really? kind of feels like at some point we're all just like really copying off of like Rich Truden and Armin Bragle, like in terms of scripting, right? You know, we're like borrowing, you know, borrowing, you know, you know, borrowing heavily, obviously. Um, I mean, it's about building communities and building alliances. And despite myself, I joined another Slack group of another bunch of Mac admins who wanted like in Canada just to go, well, let's do a regional one. And then I was like, Oh, grumble, grumble. We don't need any more extra communities. And then suddenly I was like, I don't know how to do this thing. I'm trying to back up to Dropbox. I've never done that before. Weird. And someone's like, Arc alone. I'm like, part of my brain. I used to know that. Oh yeah. Thanks. So having communities, you know, it's like, can I just talk out loud and ask people questions and people can throw ideas at me, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> We uh, actually do something similar to that with the Texas-based group. Um, Flatware is actually going to be hosting it later uh, this month. Um, not to announce like another event on your podcast, my dude. Uh, We're all about community. But, yeah. Um, one of my coworkers and I, we actually ended up meeting in person because we put we tried to get together to make like a Houston Mac admins group, and it's actually been like a really great like. I completely agree. So it's like, you know, building this community has built, has been like a wonderful personal and professional thing. And I am very interested in trying to do that. And that's one of the reasons I enjoyed this conference so much was it was like, obviously a very collaborative and safe place to come and like contribute, you know, whatever you could. Um, I don't have necessarily all the technical skills of some of the people, you know, like Graham Gilbert is getting, is getting up there and like making a monkey repo in three minutes. Right. We all I mean, have, we all have experiences to share. And that's why I was inspired by the DevOps and DevOps days. And while I liked the quick talks ideas, I didn't like the fact that they had too many in a row and it was like a little rushed, but I liked the idea that people could give a short talk. You solve one little problem or here's my experience. And I find sharing that really helps and hopefully encourages other people we all can get on stage or in front of a zoom or something and and hopefully share i mean that's my dream i've found it to be really uh, it was a uh, really inspiring time for me and uh, i really enjoyed it and it also being around those people like i learned a lot quickly like i sponged up a bunch and came back here and kind of launched um I started really uh, moving into some more technical concepts that I had kind of been blocked on just because of the proximity and like, uh, you know, things, things that I had been curious about for years and only had been, you know, like part of doing computer work is learning about things forever because they're constantly changing. And, uh, you know, a lot of times learning, you know, figuring out the thing is just someone saying the right thing and, someone said the right thing a bunch of times at this conference that I, that you let me present at. And um, yeah, there's been, yeah. been a lot of great conferences over the years. And I just really wanted to learn more about monkey and learn about all these open source projects that people were working <laughs> on together. And so that was the idea for Mac DevOps trying to get it all into one place. All the people that are trying to either write stuff or learn about the projects that people have built and, um, yeah, last, last year online, you know, we didn't do too bad. I think it, it did a good job of bringing people together. Um, and we are 
publishing our call for speakers for Mac DevOps 2021. So we encourage you all to apply. And <laughs> kind of a joke from one of my kids was Mac DevOps was Mac Dev Oops, but someone else was mentioning, you should totally do a Mac Dev Oops, like mistakes you made. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's totally awesome. But if you've broken something in production, I want to hear about it because I've done that many times. <laughs> Because <laughs> I only test the production. <laughs> yeah, you had a good time doing your quick talk, and I did. Uh, I'm looking forward to. I have a, a couple of ideas that I'm going to uh, look at presenting, and um, I believe my coworker Kyle is possibly going to be putting together a continuation of what I presented on two years ago because awesome. we followed that method for two years and we have a ton of metrics um, and nice. it worked really, really well. So we actually just switch, we actually just switched to tracking all of our, um, all of our desktop support work with uh, in, in sprint models, which is interesting. I mean, it's been, it's been all right. We'll see. Yeah. But, it, but also Human experimentation, but also this, the first day of the sprint was the first day of the power going out so <laughs> so running. who knows so so it's all so yeah there's just a big hole <laughs> what did you learn what did you learn with the power outage what lessons did it afford you well fortunately uh we have some pretty robust disaster recovery stuff here um houston is no uh stranger to the larger uh natural disaster um so it's a different kind of water, <laughs> I guess. Um, I should know this, right? Houston's on the water, right? Uh, Houston is on the Gulf Coast of Texas along the southeast coast. Um, very, it's probably, it's very uh, close to and shares kind of a like coastline with New Orleans um, and Louisiana and it's extends all the way more down. More humid and you got it's extremely hurricanes. Humid. It's extremely it's humid. humid. We have a robust hurricane season. We, uh, we have our the annual uh, business continuity slash hurricane planning meetings are popping up across the organization that we always do, you know. Um, so, I mean, fortunately, we were relatively prepared in that sort of sense. And, you know, the website didn't go down and those sorts of things. But there was a lot of infrastructure problems. Um, and people are at home. People and their homes are your infrastructure if they're remote. Yes, uh, that is true. A lot of it was. Um, I'm very fortunate that my employer also agrees uh, with those sort of, of statements and they have been very supportive through all of this. Um, but uh, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, when it happened, it was very difficult because all of the infrastructure failed. Like it wasn't like your apartment didn't have power. It was like your apartment didn't have power and neither did anything else and including cell phone towers including like it was just down and it was just cold and that was the deal um it's horrible so um i mean it was uh i mean uh, obviously like community brings people together like through a lot of these events um and now uh, a lot of people are dealing with the, some of the consequences around like a uh, pipe bursting and those sorts of things. Um, I mean, most of the homes aren't designed here to ever designed to be in, you know, five to seven degree weather ever. Fair enough. So fair enough. Yeah. It's a so uh, system of measurement that's uh, in the States. Two to, three, 
two to three, <laughs> two to three Celsius. So sorry, JD's laughing at me. No, sorry. it's fine. I, I mean, we can translate if you want. Like, uh, we do it. We do UTC here. So nice. Universal time. Yeah, UTC. It's a time zone. I don't want to talk about time zones. <laughs> I think when the, if you're tracking planes. Yes. Yeah, time zones are work. <laughs> when the pandemic first happened, I think one of the conferences I jumped into, uh, I think it was hosted on the east coast of the U.S., but they just had their website and they posted like nine o'clock or eleven o'clock, and I was like, "What time zone? Where are you? You have a website. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Where are you? What does this time mean? You know, yeah. it was like it was so frustrating." <laughs> yeah time zones we, we struggled that with that even with the conference and and trying to make sure that when we sent out invites that it was in the right right time zone for folks yeah. so they weren't getting a notification for you're on at nine o'clock uh in which time zone well because yeah we are crazy and we try to do it live with people all around the world like felipe is in the czech republic you know I don't yeah. know where JD is, some kind of desert in the middle of nowhere. Basement. Some, I'm yeah. in my basement. <laughs> yeah, man. And you guys I'm are like you're hosting like country. a mini VMAs kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> handing out awards. We should do that. Good mental note, hand out awards. <laughs> Time zones are complicated. That's something I didn't realize until I got here. I knew that they were complicated. Um I've lived in another country before, and so like I've done that kind of math in my head, but like once I started working with people who do very serious systems administration and um, they were like, one of their primary complaints is like, Hey, this country changed their time zone. And so there's an update for free SB, free BSD, free BSD. And now I have to do this because times are like, because my Unix epic will be wrong, you know? And it's <laughs> like, you know, and thanks insert country here, you know? And half hour time zone differences are even worse. So there's there, that. There are an astonishing amount of those. Which I is used just to live in a place with a half an hour time zone and you hear on the radio, news is on at this hour and half an hour later somewhere else. <laughs> That's that seems just so difficult. But yeah. I'm of the I'm of the no time zone. Like I like no I, I want zone. da well, time zones are fine, but daylight savings time needs to go away. Like we need to get rid of it. Yeah. Like that's a big thing here. It's really frustrating. It complicates matters as well. We passed so. a, a law in our BC provincial legislature saying that we're doing away with it. Caveat PS when the Western states that are aligned with us do it away with it as well. Mm, oh, that might take a while. It's like we have to wait for Washington, Oregon, California to change too. You, you go first and we'll follow you. So <laughs> just do it. But Water's not but even this, open. This is, this is how we, we move along in the match. True. Community, yeah. Right. Though yeah, you I, do it I, first <laughs> and, and then I'll do it after you, you do it. So Jonathan, beyond chef, what, what else are you using in your stack to get your, your work done on a daily basis? Uh, we're super happy with simple in the end, uh, frankly, not to simple be like, yeah, yeah, but it's like, Sponsor it's, the podcast. yeah, it's really great. Um, they, it's like exactly the right touch that we need, you know, um, there are, and any of the pain points that could be solved, uh, if they're like, they're responsive with feature requests too, which is really awesome. Um, we use that and then, uh, a series, and then we have, uh, we, we've been doing monkey for forever. Uh, we use their managed stuff, um, for some things. Um, we, uh, then we have a, um, and that's really it. And then a series of profiles and scripts, you know. Um. 
we have some pain points around how you apply the scripts to a group of people at one time, but I think that could be that I think that could be described in any environment. So sure. Like for configuration or just for management over like every day? I'd say both. Um, I, I mean, we, I mean, we don't have delivery problems necessarily. That's not an issue for us. Um, but uh, we do sometimes have like a, uh, this group doesn't exist. Okay. Let's try to create it real quick. Okay. What are the policies, you know? And so, and, and I'm sure that happens with, you know, whenever, you know, that kind of stuff happens. So. I gave up and moved to payload free packages and monkey and just, just apply it that way through manifests and mm -hmm. stuck with the MDM. It was too hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was glad that we had MDM. I used simple MDM as well. Cause I wanted to start somewhere and they were reasonably good. Right. And super mm -hmm. nice people. And, uh, but when everybody stole their machines away from the office and we were a, on-site only kind of office before never you know remote really yeah so having the mdm to be able to push some packages and stuff and get people back on track i was thankful even though i was like wow installing stuff with mdm is weird compared to monkey and is it working i don't know is it not working i don't know it's all udp <laughs> yeah yeah it is which is very painful but um it's just a pain point you have to solve for, I think. And I wish that they would just say that, that they would just say that, like, here are some best practices around it. You know, um, I mean, every one of these MDM vendors exists kind of because of a pain point that Apple hasn't solved. Right. And the MDM vendor list is only growing in both like size, feature set, targeted audience and those sorts of things. So the MDM design sounds like the idea of the build it right once. And like the, when my bosses would be like, cable everything so tight, make it perfect. And we're never going back. I'm like we're never going back in that rack. We're never doing it again. Like, <laughs> no <laughs> configuration management, iterate, keep going, small changes, you know, the DevOps mindset, not the build it perfect and never change it until holy carp, we have some tech debt and we have to change this whole infrastructure. Yeah. So you're saying a, a mobile device management system to manage uh, desktop computers is a bad application? <laughs> Take Who us back knew? to the, the good old days of workgroup manager. Come on, Jay. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Actually, I think half of these are still MCX commands that are just yes. wrapped in yeah. an MDM wrapper. Back in my day, we just had pseudo server admin and you just had to deal with it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. profile manager, you know. Oh, no, you're Postgres. Your Postgres database is corrupted. Oops. Yeah, server admin's yeah. almost completely dead now. I think next version of uh, XN's going all command line again. So, um, you know, what's left? Profile manager. That's testing in production. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely better ways to do that. So that's definitely, it feels like uh, we have to kind of thing. Though they did, although didn't Apple acquire FleetSmith? I mean, that could be a, you know, that could be an improvement. That could be a feature set that they're adding. Or that could be them trying to put a better user interface on ABM. That's all conjecture. Apple so. buys smaller companies from time to time. It does not comment on the, <laughs> the reasons. <laughs> right. It just takes them three or four years longer to put them in. Um, oh, gosh. Who was it? Uh, there's been a bunch of like dumb little services that they bought. Like, uh, gosh. Dark Sky. Uh, Dark Sky. That's I'm sad that Dark Sky is going away. Um, there was one that was uh, 
had to do with a voice act. It wasn't Shazam, but it was like a Shazam clone or something similar that they also purchased. Um, they, bought I don't Shazam. Remember. they bought Shazam, didn't they? I thought they bought Shaz- Shazam. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. This this is how Siri knows what song is playing when you ask Siri now. So. There we go. They bought Buddy Build, which was a <clears throat> very old sponsor of Mac DevOps when the early Mac DevOps conferences, a Vancouver company for deploying like VMs of Mac OS. So you could spin up nice. different versions of Xcode and do to your testing and nice. Gosh, that sounds amazing. Internal. Yeah. It, <laughs> right. The, the we need that again. In, when he meant to the, the <laughs> where did you go? It, he showed me the tech and I was just like, this is amazing what you've designed. Like it was, it was so cool. And he's like, we want to sponsor your conference. And I'm like, Oh, awesome next thing you know they're bought by apple it's thanks to us see (laughs) only good things happen so what 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 is in front of you now jonathan what's your challenge what do you need help with that i need help with uh i would like (laughs) uh more personal time uh no uh don't we all no um right now i'm actually kind of getting used to um we have some concerns around uh, file sharing and collaboration between teams that I'm trying to solve. And some of them have to do with larger organizational concerns like, you know, ingress and egress protocols, which are like really frustrating things to explain to someone who's like, it sucks when run drive runs on my computer, you know, because like, unfortunately I am that same person at the, you know, at the time, you know, at times. Um, so that can be, so that's one of the things that I'm working on right now. Uh, we're current, so I'm kind of like experimenting a lot with running a PowerShell on Mac inside of a Docker uh, virtual machine in a pretty structured way um, so that you can kind of like preserve history and that sort of thing. To what end? To play with PowerShell or to do something different? So uh, if you are using Office, 3, excuse me, I'm sorry, let me back up. If you're using Office 365, you... Uh, you need basically have to have PowerShell to perform any kind of uh, command line automated uh, work towards it, really. I mean, you, you can use the admin panel, but if, say, you have a thousand mailboxes and you want to try to sort them all at once and you want to perform, you know, and you, and you want to, you know, run through and see if, you know, these sorts of things happened. I mean, like, my organization received 300,000, you know, spam emails, you know, in the last 30 days. Like, I mean, like that's a large data set and, you know, a, you know, hitting a gear and hitting export results is maybe not exactly what I'm looking for. So mm. in that sense, interfacing with Office 365 in the programmatic way is difficult from the Mac. So using a Docker container and throwing a windowized like .NET core inside of it um, I've been playing with that a little bit. There's some authentication requirements around uh, the .NET Core and how they handle multi-factor authentication inside of the Azure AD tenants that creates some difficulties. So we have, so you have to do some like kind of gross things permission-wise. I think um, to, in, uh, in passwords a and scripts. Uh, yeah, passwords and scripts, or um, passwords, uh, or um, not being able to enable uh, a second tier of authentication for a user, which right. has kind of been like a blocker for us. Like, like we don't want to. No thanks. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you. Uh, uh, so, 
yeah. So, uh, so, so, so I've been playing around with that a little bit to try to find a more programmatic way, because if we can find a programmatic way to perform that, then we can find a programmatic way. Like, I mean, it may be cumbersome and difficult, but to possibly, you know, make people's lives easier around, um, you know, running a quick Docker container to do a, you know, PowerShell command authenticated to send or something, you know? So sounds awesome and very tricky. We'll see. Good luck. It's, it's, it's all glue code. So. <laughs> I see Julia Evans, our favorite zine author has made another uh, zine or she made some DNS tools. She's been poking around with DNS and nice. uh, she's written some cool tools to like, you can investigate DNS with, and I'll put a link in the show notes and just love what she's doing. She's a very awesome person publishing a lot of cool tools and sharing her adventures on Twitter and in zines. And uh, yeah, what's not to love. It's always DNS. It's always DNS. It can be. <laughs> Except when it's permissions. I was, I was dealing with DNS today. I actually oh. was. Yeah. So uh, we'll DNS earlier, earlier this week by uh, adding a, a, as a self certain and, and uh, forgetting that I was using uh, uh, Cloudflare. So you have to, you have to, you have to mm. let them know too, apparently. Mm. Who knew? Certificates, man. Oh man. <laughs> I knew I was going to hate them years ago, but yeah, here I am. I still hate them, but the world's a little bit, I don't know. It's easier. You know, let's encrypt. I just keep seeing expired. Let's encrypt certs everywhere. Now. Yeah. There's more bits. There's more bits, more bits, more bits. I haven't checked out Fleet recently, the OS query tool, but it seemed like they published a 2021 roadmap and it seems like that could be it a looks very, really very, neat. Yeah. Definitely if all the kids check out Fleet and their OS query tools. So cool. I've only uh, installed OS query and uh, run some basic stuff with it. I haven't done much um, other than to like figure out if we could get into monkey report modules or not. You can. Um, oh, interesting. Tell me more. So there's a, literally a OS query, uh, like that, like you basically just write it to a text file and then have the monkey report read the text file. It's a short yeah, version. Okay. Um, like it, that's the shortest version, um, of this thing that I did a year and a half ago and haven't touched since. So, uh, but you know, how I mean, you know, OS query is very cool and exciting, but I don't mm -hmm. like writing database queries. So any tool that abstracts away the coolness of the database query. <laughs> we, uh, we do some database work on our team, but not a lot. So we yeah. do some store procedure stuff is fun because it can like, uh, it's nice having that access because in terms of um, like having a like identity, like having identity and access management workflow problems that are like organizational wide and cross system. Like if you have a database, you can just say, okay, like we'll just spin this dumb thing up real quick. And there's a joke in our organization about just doing the database thing um, because it's not easy or simple, you know, and, and it's wild animal, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Wild but, animals and databases. You guys have a fun place to work. And we're building the plane, how we fly it. At, while it's flying at least or at least that's how it feels sometimes so so a cool security thing that we do is like we like publish a list of everything that we're monitoring on their machine you know as compared to what we're not you know um just so they know they can yes relax. you know because we're very into like transparency open source like we you know like our ceo has you know contributed to FreeBSD. my boss you know like a lot of people contribute to and publish open source software it's important to the company and 
which is why they love this conference so much. And I'm hoping to try to like going to the conference really gave me like a lot of skills around this and confidence to like get really good at Python. Like I'm pretty good. I'm not amazing. I'm pretty good. Like, you know, like I know my way I, I can use the debugger and I gave a 45 minute presentation on it. Like I'm pretty okay. You know, um, nice. Python Alliance, um, you know, uh, but you know, I, I'm starting to play with objective C in the foundations framework, but none of it is like anything where I could actually like talk about in front of humans. So, um, so, so I'm excited to see if we can use salt to try to salt and those things to build a open source, like SIEM kind of framework that's repeatable for endpoint security management. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about possibly like pitching around, like using like objective C's like, you know, they have great rules in Objective-C where it's like, hey, persistent agents, you know, like all like all those kind of like big checklists that you do as a blue team, you know, all that stuff. But he also has some other really smart ones and all of his tools have caught everything before in the wild before like they're ever even there. So like we may, like there may be a political discussion in my company as well for me to try to like get us to sponsor them in some way so that we can include these tools inside of there. So using Objective-C over Swift is, is interesting because Swift is so much more Python-like in its mm -hmm. structure. I know it's still a little little young in, in it, its abilities, but... Well, we have some Objective-C around our stack that I can play with. Uh, so, okay. I mean, because a lot of, like, frankly, a lot of, my, a lot of this is just like, you just go look at source code and see if you can read it. And if you can't, then you come back later, you know, and then sometimes right. you come back and it makes sense. So with a lot of stuff. So that's why you doc that's why you document your code. Same. Yeah, but but, but like a lot of times, <laughs> you know, like know. well, I mean, like uh I learned a lot of I also got a lot of familiarity with it. Like we built a branded open VPN client using Tumblebook. Um mm -hmm. uh which was a frustrating and maddening experience. But yep. uh because I built you have to build you have to package build that shit on a 1014 virtual machine uh, with Xcode like three, 7.3, you can't script it. It's, and, then you, and then to package sign it for Catalina, you have to move it out in a way that won't break all the notarization shit. It's, it's, the next time you need to do something like that, packages is an amazing, amazing program and it has a full command line. So uh, yeah, I mean, like what ended up happening is uh, we just, we just scripted it and got it handled and then you know hey look at this bash script that you just run oh hey look at that look at that look at that yep. easy you know but it just took us a while to figure out like the pain points around like package build and some of the other stuff but the bonus is like um i mean it also helped us out with our mobile crew and you know in terms of getting xcode server properly done so. i like monkey package Monkey package is a good time. Monkey package is a good time. Monkey package is how I was doing things forever. I was doing that for a really long time. I like packages. I hate making them for MDM. Like, it seems like half the time I'd make them, they'd be like simple. MDM. Auto packages. Like, wrong awesome. format. Mm, auto package. Yes. If I was. I want something to verify tea. recipes for me. That's, they kind of have something like that. I, I mean, like recipe I robot. Saying this recipe and, robot. Yeah. It works really recipe good. Well, but that that's to create the recipe. I want something to validate the recipes when I'm mm. when, when I'm bringing them down. I uh, I'm I'm here for myself, uh, but I like working for Flightaware. It's a pretty cool place. Um the uh 
the desk wing operates inside of the uh, operations and reliability group. Um, desk so wing. yeah, we call it, it like it, they, they call them wings and groups, which is a, a, aviation. I mean, so also background, um, I think, at the, I, yeah, I think at this point, I think something like 40 to 45% of the people that work here are actually pilots and actually can fly planes. So wow. there's a very strong uh, aviation culture associated What's the with parking lot look like. Uh, like empty now. Uh, no, it's, it's not like Cessnas and Pipers and you know planes. Uh, so not to plug the site or anything, because well, I'm not going to give away their tail numbers. But I mean, yeah, there's a, a few company planes. There's a flying club actually. Um, nice. So yeah, and uh, that's actually a company perk. Um, you know, uh, it's called the. You know, it's like if you are learning to fly. Um, in the past, there has been a. Uh, company perk that has allowed you to kind of subsidize a little bit um of that nice so you work in a cool place and i know back back in the days when we could travel and did travel i i used flight aware all the time because you guys seem to know about all of the all of the changes before any anything else delta could never tell me (laughs) as fast as as you guys could so yeah there i don't know what what magic voodoo they're they're doing with the databases it's a well, well i'd say that they're not doing it with databases and maybe that's the problem <laughs> do it the database way with uh, the wild animals how we determine what's going on is complicated obviously we have an entire team that deals with that and they, are, they deal with the aviation platform um variety of languages a, which is a 40 year old platform right when the fa first revamped the the entire tracking system oh uh i don't know about any of that kind of like faa (laughs) lore um i know that they are uh a data source for us um and uh communicating with them and um some of their stations can be um as expected for dealing with larger federal government agencies so consist uh u.s federal government agencies in particular although i will also say that um my experiences around um national governments and um their expectations appear to align regardless of where you are in the globe so you are learning valuable skills that's the most diplomatic way i could say that (laughs) (laughs) well we really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing your adventures origin stories and challenges you face Hope to see you at the next Mac DevOps. You definitely will. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. If you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor, thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor. Simple MDM, our silver sponsor. And Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. It's a series of tubes, the internet.